this sermon that I'm going to be talking about is very necessary in our in the culture that we find ourselves in. I, we're going to be in uh, Revelation chapter 2. If you have your Bible, if you don't, it will be on the screen, of course. And uh, I'm reading today from the New Living Translation, so if you don't have that one, if, you, if you're used to being in different translation, just follow along with that. And uh, what I love about this one, it's, it's, it's one that I read the church, uh, the letter to the church in Pergamum. You guys ever heard of that one? Pergamum, city in ancient uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Never been to Turkey. I've eaten Turkey, but had to say that. But um, Pergamum, if you will read it with me, you'll recognize some of the culture that we live in now. It's very, very modern sounding, and history repeats itself, doesn't it? History repeats itself, and so when you see the church in Pergamum and the town that it's located in Pergamum, you will notice it is very, very um, familiar territory. If you have grown up in this culture and you see where the culture is going in the near future, and uh, here's a map of where this is located. We've it's kind of interesting how God laid out the letters in order of clockwise from Patmos. The closest to Patmos where John was located at when Jesus showed up was Ephesus. Remember that? Then we went to Smyrna last week. And then now we're traveling to Pergamon, which is north. Then we're going to Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And, uh, it's interesting how it's clockwise. It goes in order. That's how they chose to put it in order of, uh, publication, if you want to call it that. But, uh, Pergamum is an interesting place. It's, it's, um, I mean, I look at that map and this is a simple map and the, the two that we've already talked about have been on the coastline. This one's a little bit inland. So I think I'd rather go to the coast. Anybody beach people? You like beach? You like sand and ocean and, or how many of us like prairie? Right? No, none. Okay. Um, how many of us like we're right where we're at? Perfect. Right there. And so this third letter is to the church in Pergamum. And it doesn't get a lot of airtime, this one, because it's a, while it is very necessary, it is a, um, it's not a fun one to talk about. Okay, pastors don't always like to talk about what they're talking about, even though God wants to bring it up. And he, uh, God wants to us to look at it and look inside our heart, the deepest part of our heart. And uh, it's interesting because our men's group on Wednesdays, we meet in the office over here and, and uh we say something all the time about, you know, that God will sometimes reveal the things that are deep in our heart that we don't even know are there. But sometimes he'll reveal, reveal stuff to us and go, ouch, this may be one of those instances where you go, I don't actually know if I'm dealing with it. But if you look inside, there may be a sliver of uh, this sin that um, Jesus is talking about. So as a little recap, just a short recap, we talked about Ephesus. And that main point of that letter was to return to your first love. How many of us remember that one? If you're a Christian, you read the Bible, most people remember that one. Another letter that people remember is Laodicea. Remember that one? If you're, if you're hot, if you're lukewarm, what's Jesus going to do with that church? He's going to spit you out of his mouth. Remember that one? I like that one. That's a, a interesting uh, thing. But then we talked about Smyrna. And Smyrna was interesting because Smyrna had a, a very uh, horrible situation. They faced bad situation and trial and tribulation after trial and tribulation. They're in the middle of this and Jesus goes, I got a letter to hand to you. And here, why don't you read this letter, pastor? And the pastor will stand up and he goes, more, more to come. And they're like, oh, ouch. But the main point is remember God's faithfulness because God instructed the church, stay faithful even if you have to die, even if it means your life. Don't give up. Why? Because we know in the middle of your trials and tribulations, God is faithful. Now, to be honest about this one here, it is very easy to say that when you're not facing a trial. Is it not? If someone is, if, if Alice is facing a trial and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, everything's going great in my life, I go, sister, you can do it. She could easily go, easy for that guy to say. The reality is when you're in the middle of a, a battle, when you're in the middle of war, when you're in the middle of tribulation, you got to step aside a little bit and look at God, look at where God has been in your life, where he is in your life, and where he's taking you. He's taking you on this journey to paradise, to heaven, to a uh, an eternity with him. And how many of us are looking forward to that day? Five of us. Okay, perfect. The rest of us are like, I'm doing good on this earth. Listen, this earth is crazy, 
right? But heaven is going to be awesome. And so that's where we're at today. This week, it's not as fun, but it's very necessary. I feel like I'm a youth pastor again because this is a topic that you talk to to the teenagers. How many of us are just older teenagers? You wish you were an older teenager. You wish you were 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, Or maybe you act like 17. That's a different thing. When your spouse tells you you're acting like a child, that's a different problem, okay? My wife's never said that to me. She always thinks I'm very mature. Um, But the church in Pergamum, here is the topic. Here's the main point if you want the sermon in in a topic. Refuse to compromise in the middle of a culture that's going left and right, and they actually, in Pergamum, unlike these days, they celebrated sin. We don't do that these days, right? Our culture doesn't celebrate sin, do we? <laughs> we do. Our, cel- our, our culture does. They say, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, go ahead and do it. If this is your only life, have fun. Go crazy. Just don't hurt anybody while you're doing it, and everything's fine. That's exactly what Pergamon was like. They wanted everyone to just go crazy with sin. No big deal. If it's not hurting you, what's the big deal? Can't we just accept everything? That's exactly what they were dealing with. And the church as a whole was doing fine. The Pergamum church was doing fine. The problem was there was two groups of people that snuck into the church as brothers and sisters in Christ, and they started teaching things and living out things that were not biblical, and they started swaying some of the believers to believe in their garbage. Okay? So theology matters. Doctrine matters. Belief matters. And when you get someone to creep in there, Jesus has to correct this church, even though they didn't purposely, they didn't do the sin that is described here. This horrible, wicked, evil sin. They actually just tolerated it. And so let's open this up. Revelation chapter two, verse 12. And this is the dear church part of the letter. Okay. Write this letter to the angel of the church. Could be the pastor. Give it to the pastor. And to the church in Pergamum, here is the introduction. And it's always a, a, a part of Jesus that is introduced to the church. I love this. As a, an assignment when you get home, look at all seven letters and then write down who Jesus is. You're going to discover Jesus for these, for uh, maybe the first time or the hundredth time, who Jesus is based on these seven statements. This is the message from the one. Everybody say one. This is Jesus. This is the message from the one with the sharp, two-edged sword. I love this. Now, Jesus doesn't just say that on accident to this church. When he says, I am the one with the, two, the sharp, two-edged sword, the people of Pergamum would have gone, oh, I know what you're saying. Because in every single city that I'm referring to in this series, I'm doing a little bit, not a lot, I'm doing a little bit of research about the city itself. And Pergamum was known for one thing, and that was executions. Most of them were by sword. Okay, sometimes they burned people alive, but most of the time they were by sword. They would tie them up and then just whack away until they're gone. And so they had this very prideful type of thing that said, we are the city with the sword. I mean, it looks pretty familiar. Jesus is very brilliant here. He's using their own language against them. Okay, and he does that a lot. He does that a lot in all these letters. He looks at the city and the people of this church who would know this, that the city goes, we're proud. We're the city with the sword. We're strong. We're mighty. Look at us. We, if you do wrong, watch out. We're going to butcher you. And Jesus goes, no, uh, uh, uh. I'm the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Now, if you're in Bible study, how many people um, know what the sword of the Spirit really, really represents? The Bible. Okay, so what he's representing, and who is Jesus according to John 1? He is the Word, right? So listen to this. The Bible is the Word. So is Jesus. He's the Word. And he's saying, I am the one with the sharp two-edged sword. There is a two-edged side to this. One side, if you want, if you want a very quick Bible study within the sermon, that one edge of the sword is to those who refuse to listen to the Word of God and refuse to accept it refuse to accept Jesus' death on the cross, he brings the sword against them, what? In judgment. Because how many of us know a sword or a knife can bring damage to you if you use it wrongly? Trust me, right there. There's a little owie right there, okay? Box knife at work. If you use a knife in the wrong way, 
you can cause some damage. And so when you, re- when you, re- you receive the word of God and you do not accept it, you, do, you say, Lord, thank you, but no thank you. He brings the sword of judgment on that group of people. Boom! But the other side of the sword is those who receive it, those who accept it, those who take it and go, yes, I received the word of God. What he does is he brings salvation down. He cuts off all those sins that are in your life. He cuts all that excess. It's like, it's like cooking any kind of meat, and you have all that fat that kind of burns. You have to kind of cut it off. Chicken's one of those things that I like. When we put a chicken on the, on the thing, it's easy to look at it and go, ugh, because all that fat needs to be cut away, right? How many of us are chicken people, right? I don't mind chicken. It's just there's a lot of fat on it. So I like to cut it out. And that's what it is. I'm cut, Jesus is taking that. If you accept it, he's cutting, if you want to call it the fat, but I'm talking about all that sin that hangs on and he brings salvation and life. And so that's what he talks about when he is the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Verse 13, these people needed some encouragement. This church needed some encouragement. Verse 13 is that encouragement. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. How many of you guys ready to talk about Satan a little bit today? Well, too bad. It's already here. But you get here and you go, Satan is mentioned a few times, okay? You live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. I'm going to pause right there. This is very vital to any person, any Christian who lives in an evil, wicked, sinful culture. And if you live in the world today, your culture is, and our culture is not godly. Our culture is not doing the things that God wants. They celebrate sin, and if they don't celebrate sin, they say, why do you have to go against that certain sin? Why can't you just accept my sin as it is? I'm my own individual. Why can't you just leave me alone? Why do you have to stand against sin? The reality is, this culture, they did the same thing that we do today, the culture does today. Like, just accepted it. And even some people, some good people in the church, they accepted it. That was where they went wrong. Yet, the church remained loyal to Jesus, even though they live in the middle of a culture that as a whole, maybe there was a few people, there were a few groups of people that were swayed by the culture, but there was a group of people that stood strong. We'll call it a remnant in Pergamum that stood strong for the word of God, and they were not swayed by the culture on the outside. They remained faithful and loyal to Jesus. To me, I, I read that and I go, that is one of my goals in my life, if not the goal. I've already stepped uh, uh, forward in my faith in God. I've stepped over the line of faith. Now that I'm there, what do I do now from now till I, Jesus either returns or I get to go meet with him? Whichever comes first, okay? What do I do between then? Number one, I want to remain, well, first I want to worship him like he deserves. But even with that, I want to remain loyal to him. I don't want to throw in the towel. How many of us have ever met a Christian that gave up on God or gave up on the church or gave up on themselves? They threw in the towel. They waved the white flag. I'm done. I've met a few people like that. People that we poured into. And they said, this life is too hard. I'm done. They did not remain loyal to Jesus. But this church, the one thing they did really good You remain loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's sea. There was this guy named Antipas who was killed right in front of them. And the reason why he was killed was he refused to deny Christ. That that still happens to this day in different cultures, not in America. You know, believe whatever you want to believe. And, And that is, I guess, part of the good part of this country is... No one forces you to believe in a specific religion. That was how this country was founded in a sense that we don't have a government-owned religion. We live for Christ by our own free will. But in that culture, they said, deny Christ or you're going to die. Antipas, he refused to deny, so they killed him. They burned him. And the church saw this, and they go, you could be next. If you don't, this is the, this is what's going to happen to you if you do not deny Christ. And he goes, you refuse to deny Christ even when he was martyred among you. Now, it was hard to find some information about who this Antipas was. There was a article which, that said that he 
could have been the pastor of Pergamum. He was the faithful witness of this church, that he was the one that stood up. And why he would be there in front of this group of people dying is because they were, they, they, this was their pastor. We don't know that for sure. I like to think, I like, as I'm reading this story, as I'm reading the letter going, okay, I'm going to act like, I can't prove this, doesn't really matter, but to me, I'm going to act like he's the pastor, okay? And he's the one that stood up in front of his church, did not deny Christ, and they killed him right in front of the church, okay? And they, there's two things here. There's Satan's throne, and there's Satan's city. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want you to imagine that you're in a church where the city's king is Satan. Now, I don't want to be mean to our country. I love the United States. But when sin, I want to be very careful here. When sin rules and reigns the culture, all you need, all you need is just a little bit of, of, of uh, a sin to get Satan a foothold in your life. And as a country... All you need is a little foothold to get Satan, or a little bit of an opening for Satan to get a foothold. And he's got the, he's got the culture. And the reality is, if the culture has opened up wide the opportunity for sin, sin's okay. Sin's ignored. Sin's tolerated. Toleration is this word that people say, you, you don't have to agree with it. Just tolerate it. Just ignore it. Ignore what I'm doing. Just say, just say, oh, whatever. And just turn your head and just don't say anything about sin. That's the culture that we live in. That was the culture. And guess what? Because that happened, the devil had his throne in that city. And not only that, it was, if Satan could say, I have a city. If God has a city, we'll call it Jerusalem. Where's Satan's city? Pergamum. Because they just accepted everything. Now, Revelation 2.14, here is the correction. And a lot of times when you read this, you'll skip right forward and keep going. I want to I read this a little bit slow because most people, they don't get it. I, I had to look a little bit, a little bit of research. But I have a few complaints against you. So you've done good. You've been loyal. You've done great. You're, you're remaining faithful to me. But here's their sin. You tolerate some people among you. Say tolerate. So this is where he's correcting them. They're not the ones that are sinning. They're tolerating it. You tolerate some people among you whose teaching is that of Balaam. Okay, you got to go back. This is your homework assignment. I don't have enough time to research and tell you about Balaam. Okay? or Balak, or the donkey, because you have to go to numbers for that. How many of us are a little bit familiar with that story, a little bit at least? It would be very beneficial to you to read his entire story because then you'll go, oh, I, I know exactly what he's referring to here, okay? You tolerate some people among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, and he gives you a little bit of generic synopsis of what he did, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. So what's he doing to the church in Pergamum? He's trying to trip them up. He's trying to get them to walk off the narrow path and go to where they're at and say, oh, it's okay. Why are you guys so extreme? Why you got to be so fundamental? Why you got to be so far this way? Just be more loving. Look, look is, is, is God loving? Of course. I heard it one way. We can love someone so much to death because they need to know that God is there to save them from what? From hell. Why is that? Because all of us, including myself, we are sinners. I was an enemy of God and Jesus still died for me while I was an enemy of God. He made me a child of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. People need to hear that. They need to hear that story. They don't need to hear, oh, it's okay. I heard it on a video on YouTube, <sighs> made me really mad because it was a church. And said, if you're here and you've, you're, you're walking in sin, just specific sins, I won't mention them, but specific sins. If you're here, we accept you. We accept you. Just keep, God loves you. Period. Didn't talk about repentance. Didn't talk about the fact that God wants to heal them. God wants to save them. God wants to deliver them. Like he does all of us. Right? That's our story. And that is the, if, if we're just saying, oh, here, have a cookie, Alice, you're good. 
then they're never going, nothing's going to change. They're never going to experience the true joy of the freedom of God. And if I love, that's what I love. I love, and not that I don't slip up and you can just ask, like, I have to leave the room, but ask my family. Okay? So it's not that I'm perfect. It's not that we're perfect. It's that this is my goal in my life. This is the direction I'm going. And Balaam showed this man Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. Here it is, the specific things that he did. He taught them to sin by eating food to offer to idols. So the sin here in the church is idolatry. Simple, simply put, what is idolatry? Putting anything above God. Like, I don't have any statues of Baal. I don't have any statues of Muhammad. I don't have any statues in my house. No, that's not what he's talking about. Idolatry is not just having a little image where you're bowing down to it. It's anything that takes priority over God. That was one of the sins that Balaam was teaching the people of Israel. And that's, that was, was, was creeping into the church in Pergamum. And by committing sexual sin, that's the sin of immorality. They're celebrating sexual sin, unlike the days of our culture where it's no big deal, right? I mean, no, in our culture, sexual sin is celebrated. It's actually pursued. It is pursued. It's like, hey, if it feels good, hey, take a little hint on your body. If it feels good, go for it. And I get it. Like, I get it. I get if something feels good, don't you naturally want to do it? Of course. Doesn't always make it right. So there's two sins that they're committing right now in the church. Verse 15 is a group of people who was mentioned in the first letter in a similar way, in the same way. There's, there's another group of people that are introduced into this church. There is the group of people who are like, they have the spirit of Balaam. Then there are a group of people who have the spirit of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans, if you, I don't have enough time to talk about them, but they, they come from the, the guy named Nicholas. And Nicholas was one of the, one of the seven, um, uh, people that were chosen to serve in the book of Acts. Now, how that became from him to the teaching that's this, I have no idea. I have to do a little more research. But that's who the Nicolaitans are. They come from Nicholas, who was a member of the deacons of the early church in Acts. If you read Acts, you know there's a group of deacons. Okay? But you, in a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. So there's two groups of people in the church. Three, three groups. There's one group that is sold out for God. They, they're loyal to God. The second group is this, they teach the, te- the doctrine of Balaam. I'm going to trip up everyone that's doing good. I'm going to try to do whatever I can to make you not think that, that, think that sin is no big deal. You're too fundamental. You're too far this way. You're too literal. Then you have the group who they would follow the teachings of Nic- the Nicolaitans who taught the exact same thing. So you have a double whammy here. And the danger is, here's the danger. You have good people, some good people who are on the fence. This happens today. We can be tempted one way so strong. And the worst thing that we could do is to think that the sin could never catch up with us. We're so good. We're way beyond that. Look, I'm, I've been guilty of that. I would never do that again because, look, I gave my life to Christ. I conquered that when I was 19 years old. I'm a lot older than 19 years old. And you know what? Some of those sins that you dealt with when you were younger, guess what happens? If you put a little, if you just give the devil a little ounce, you, he gets a foothold in your life and he trips you up. And sometimes you don't need the devil. You need people like that who are creeping into your life. These people who are creeping into the church, they just taught all this. And then guess what? The good people of that church, what was their sin? They tolerated it. Now, I know some people who can't stand Christians because of the fact that we stand for truth. And I want to step aside for just a moment and say, I understand their, I do, I understand their point of view. The ways of God are very narrow-minded. They are. It's this way or no way. Jesus says, follow me or no. Okay? The road to heaven is very narrow. It's a one-lane road, Jesus. But the highway to hell is as wide as it can be. And so if you look at it, if you're not a Christian, you look at the highways, you're going, 
I want to go this way. It's a lot easier. This road, it's very narrow. There are some things in your life that will try to trip you up. And this is what happened here. In a similar way, they have people who are following the same teaching, trying to trip them up. Verse 16 is their instruction. Repent of your sin. Of whose sin? The group of people who are loyal. They're the ones that are doing good. They're not even sinning. Yet, the sin by omission is, I'm going to tolerate this in the church. Just no big deal. Let them do it. We're just going to love you. We're going to give you a little hat and a little, here, have a cookie. Relax. Everything's good. Right? That's what that, that's what the, repent of your sin. And Jesus doesn't act of mercy here. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them. Say them. I want you to notice the difference here. Repent of your sin. If you don't repent of your sin, I'm going to come in and I'm going to fight against them. Who's them? These two groups of people have infiltrated. So this isn't even really against the church that's doing good, but they do have to repent because if you don't repent as a church, there's going to be no hope for this group of people here. Listen, church, this might not seem vital to you today. It might not. As I was looking at all three of these, I'm going, okay, it's very familiar, but for some Christians, we think this is way beyond us. We don't deal with, I, I don't have any idols. Like sexual immorality, I'm not a teenager anymore. I got, I, got, I got better, right? I don't deal with that. But if you have a group of people who are far from God, who are trying to trip you up, and all you do is just go, eh, eh, what are you doing? If you don't repent of that, Jesus is going to come and he's going to take that sword of his mouth, the word of God, and he's going to judge them. There's no hope for them. Now, I will say it this way. I got to say it this way because I've been part, I have been seeing people who, who judge people like non-Christians based on their sin. The Bible talks, talks about this, talks about, it, it, are we supposed to judge others? The Bible is very clear. Yeah, we do actually. It says, thou shalt not judge. Look at the entire thing. Take out the log in your own eye. Judge yourself and go, ooh, this is nasty. And then you see a brother in Christ, you go, oh, let me help you with that little speck. But you know what? I've had people where they tell the truth, but they don't do it in love. The Bible says clearly, speak the truth in, speak the truth in love. Okay? There is a way to do it. There's a way to do it. If I just blurt out the fact, I have a sign you're a sinner going to hell. They don't believe in hell, first of all. And they don't believe that they're sinning. How do you reach them? You do love them, but you don't have to tolerate them. That's a difference. But this is the, he's going, you know what? If you don't repent of your part of the whole thing, church, by tolerating it, eh, whatever. Let him do it. He's going to come and he's going to suddenly, he's going to fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to bring judgment Verse 17, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus says that to every church at the very end. What does that mean? Here's the modern day of saying it. Have a teachable spirit. How many of us would say you're teachable? Or you're set in your ways? How many of us are set in their ways? There are some people that are set in their ways. They're not teachable. They're not moldable. I, I, this is how I am. I'm happy. Don't mess with that. It's like in the old days with the TV, you had the rabbit ears. Maybe you still have them. I don't know. But in my old days, you had to put a little tinfoil on it. And if someone messed with that at rabbit ear, I'd say, don't mess with that rabbit ear. It's just exactly how I like it. But they're like, no, I need channel four. Hold on. I need you. All you can get is channel nine, which is PBS. I don't want to just watch Mr. Rogers. I want to watch channel four. And, and, uh, Rabbit ears were great, you know, but someone would like mess with it or they take off the little tinfoil and we get set in our ways. Anyone with ears to hear should hear, should listen what the spirit is saying to the, and not only listen, understand what the spirit, and you know what? Some people are in their, are set in their ways, but you know what the best thing you could do right now? Take away this entire series. Here's the one point that I want, I want to take away right now. This is just a freebie here. Be teachable. I'm saying it to myself. 
Joel, be teachable. Be teachable. Allow Jesus to teach you. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know what, Church of Pergamum? You might think you're doing good, and you're doing good, but there is one thing I have against you. You're tolerating this sin. And then he says something very specific to this church. I love this. This is another one that you need to do on your own time. Every seven, uh, all seven letters together, look at the very last little thing, and he's saying what he's going to give to the church, a gift. He gives them two things. To everyone who's victorious, I will give some of the manna that's been hidden away in heaven. The manna is simply sustenance. It's life. Manna was from the Old Testament. It rained from heaven. Manna literally means what is it? They didn't know what it was. It was a little, what is this? It's snowing outside. No, it's not. It's manna. It's what is it? I mean, they, they're pretty literal. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name that. Well, what is it? Exactly. Manna. Okay. I'm going to have some of the, hey, want some, hey, want some, what's it? What is it? Here, have some, what is it? Have some, what is it with peanut butter on it? Have peanut, have what, what is it and cream cheese on it, whatever. But he goes, if everyone's victorious, you step in faith and you cross that finish line, I'm going to give you true life. It's another way of saying life because he talks about it in a different letter. I'm going to be the one that gives you life. And then here it is. I love this. I love this one. And I will give to each one, one, I'm going to, each one, each one of us, I'm going to give you a white stone. Perfect. Wow. Boom. And on that stone is going to be engraved a brand new name that no one understands except for the one who receives it. So I'm going to grab Alice's stone in heaven and go, I, I can't read it. What's it say? For me to know and you to find out. Except it says that one. I love that. What I love about that is God offers us, because I like the manna part of it. I do. But that one with the white stone with the brand new name, I love it because this is exactly what we need. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. Thank you. I have it written down. I was just testing. Simon became Peter. Saul became Paul. I love that. It is very common. You used to be this way, and now you're this way. Peter, you guppy, now I'm going to call you Rocky. Rocky Balboa. No, he, the, the, you know, Simon Peter means Rocky. Yo, Adrian, right? I mean, they, that's what Peter was. He's a rock, not a guppy. There are a few times Jesus had to call him Simon again. Simon, Simon, right? But he's Peter. And you are no longer who you used to be. You are who God says you are. And someday in heaven, I don't know if this is physical, literal, or spiritual, like whatever, metaphorical, I don't know. But I think that you're going to be dragging along a cool rock. And you're going to be pointing at it. And Alice is going to look at my rock and she's going to say, I have no idea what it says. It's in Greek to me. It's all Greek to me. I'm going to say exactly. I can read it. God revealed it to me. I love that. So God offers you life. He offers you a brand new name. He offers you a new future, a hope. And I love that. Now, we got a few, few, top, few uh, points here and then we'll be done. And uh, Jesus says in verse 13, that I, I know you live in the city where Satan has his throne and you live in a city, in Satan's city. So there's two things here I want you to know m m that we mention that we usually just pass over. Satan has his throne and this is Satan's city. Now, there's, I couldn't come up with a solution to what this literally is because scholars who, they do that for a living to study this, they're all over the board when it comes to Satan's throne. Some people think that it's, um, they, they did have a throne in Pergamum. It was to the throne of the Greek god Zeus that they'd bring sacrifices. They would sacrifice animals and people on this horrible, horrible, horrible wicked stuff. And some scholars say, well, he's just referring to that physical location, that physical thing. Um, I'm not quite sure about that. There were some people that said this was, he has his throne because the city has given up their, 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 their lives. They're, they've kind of said God's ways are too radical for me. So sin's okay. Then what happens? The door opens up for Satan and Satan, who's the king of Pergamum? Who's the mayor of Pergamum? He is Satan himself. So whether it's a physical location where he's sitting there on his throne, I don't think so, but I think more likely it's because the city has given up on God and God allowed Satan 
access to their city. And their city was going to hell literally quick. Now, there's a few ways that we need to refuse to refuse um, to compromise our culture to our culture. Number one, and this is so important. Number one is to refuse to compromise your humility. The sin of pride creeps in. What is Satan's number one sin? Pride. He said, I will make myself like God. This is the first thing he said. I will make myself like God. And God said, fine, get out of here. How many of us have ever heard the story uh, in the Bible where Satan is thrown from heaven? Many people can't find it. We're going to read a verse from it today. I'm going to give you a little hit. It's going to be so helpful because you go, oh, it's actually in the Bible where Satan did fall from heaven. It's not just made up. You can't find it in Genesis. Genesis, he's already fallen. So we don't know when it happened. And I'm not going to wrestle over that one. That would give me a headache. But the first thing is to refuse to compromise our humility. God so wants us to be humble. Who was the most humble person on planet earth? Jesus. The very act of him coming from heaven to earth was an act of humility. And every single thing that he did, everything he said, he said, I'm doing this because my father told me to. What is that? That's humility. Even though he is God, the son, even though he said me and the father were one, he had, he took a step of humility while he was here on this earth. Why? Not only as an, as an example for us, but because he goes, I'm living on this earth. I'm being humble to my father. And the church often gets very prideful. Gets very prideful. See, Isaiah 14, if you're taking notes or you're not, write this down. Because you're going to need to know Isaiah 14 because that is the verses that it talks about Satan's, his very problem is all these things he says. He declares. He declares all this thing, these things, and it's pride. The number one thing that Satan is, he's prideful. He's a liar, but he's prideful, number one. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, which means Lucifer. That made me more familiar to you, Lucifer, you guys heard the name? How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. I mean, think about it, how beautiful he must have been. And now, how evil and nasty and wicked Satan really is. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Period. And if you get, if we, if I give him an inch of my life, He'll get his foothold in my life. And, but God says, you have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to, the he- to heaven and I will set my throne above God's stars. Look how important he wants to be. He wants everyone to look at him. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be like the most high. God says, instead of that, you're going to be brought down to the place of the dead. Sheol, hell, how we get the word hell. You're going to be, you're not only going to be in, in the, the bottomless, you're going to be brought down to the place of the dead. You're going to be brought down to its lowest depths. You're not just going down in the ground. You're going down to hell and to the second death. You're going to lake of fire. Why is that? Because Satan wanted to be like God. And I would even say not just like God. He wanted to be elevate himself above God. He wanted people, he wanted everyone to say, you know what? We look at you, not God. What happens in this church? What happens in this country? What happens to all the churches? If we keep our eyes off of Jesus and make it about other things, we make it about ourselves. We make it about the culture. We want to embrace the culture like this, like a big hug. What happened to Satan is he fell. He had so much promise. And now that he's got his one foot in in hell and one foot on the earth, he wants to take as many people with him, especially if you said yes to Jesus Christ. He's going to mess with you. 
We talk about that in our men's group all the time, that this is not Twilight Zone stuff. This is real stuff. Okay? Or some people, some churches, they're like, oh, you're getting a little weird here. This devil, why even talk about the devil? Because he's very, very crafty and sneaky and dangerous. He tried to get entire church of Pergamum to get their, to join their side. That's why it's dangerous. So pride, we need to refuse to compromise our humility. God wants to be first in our life. See, pride wants to be lifted up. Pride wants to be exalted. Pride wants to be seen by all. I want to be very careful with, as a pastor here. There have been times in my life where I have tr- I've done what God wanted me to do, but my heart, my heart and my flesh, they, they cry out to go, go tell someone that you did it. And you know where it's dangerous at? Facebook. Facebook, you can de- declare, look what I did. Look how good Pastor Joel is. Man, look how good. And I've got to be very careful to be humble where I am okay at serving the community without being seen, without the fanfare. Wow, look at Pastor Joel. He, wow, look at him. He floats when he walks. He walks on water. His sermons are brilliant. Wow. Billy Graham, who? I don't know who that is. Joel. We, we love Joel. You know, it's, I have to be careful. And this is for all of us. Where God is calling us to do, to do good things to the people around us, to minister to people. The minister is not me only. The minister is all of us. We minister to the people around us. You might never preach a sermon. That's not, this is not ministry. Are you kidding me? Ministry is impacting the people around us to see changed lives. But are we willing to do that without being seen or heard? No glory. The only glory that we give, give it to God. And I always, there's, there's certain people I talk to and I say, you know what, thank you for yada, yada, yada. And they go, no, I give the glory to God. I respect, I respect that. I do. Because it's so much easier to go, did you hear what I did? Did you hear what I did? Did you hear how good it was? Do you see how many people were saved? Do you see how many, huh? and you go, and huh, I got to put it, I got to go on Facebook right now and I got to tell how many people were saved. Hold on. Why? Because look at Joel. That's pride. We've got to live out not pride, humility. Why is that? Because we need to make it about God and we need to elevate him and not our own agenda and our own name. The second one, this is a this is a difficult one, but we need to refuse to compromise our integrity. Why is this? Because in the culture that we live in, it's so easy to slip on this one. When I was a youth pastor in college, I talked about this point until I was blue in the face. And the worst part of this was I'd drive home in my S10 pickup and go back to the dorms, and I'd realize I compromise my integrity in different areas of my life. So what right do I have to preach to this group of teenagers about being integrity? And integrity just means strength, strong. If your house has integrity, it's not going to collapse. If the integrity of a house is weak, it will collapse. And the sin of this of being strong and being focused on God is idolatry. It's making it other than God. And what happens when we make it other than God is we are we actually weaken our life. We weaken our life. See, Revelation 2.14, you tolerate some like you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. He showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols. The Bible talks about the food offered to idols a few times. That doesn't seem very relevant today because I have not, every time I go to the store and I get hamburger, ground beef, I'm assuming, I actually I know for sure, I work for Pepsi, I've seen the meat cutters, they've never sacrificed them to idols. I can give you that promise, okay? They've never, like, we're, we're cutting this in the name of Baal. They've never done it and then they offer it. So what does that mean? We... Whatever it is that's more important in our life than God Almighty becomes an idol, even if they're good things. 
and then committing sexual sin. Then in a similar way, verse 15, you have Nicolaitans who follow the same teaching. See, the two sins of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, they were simply idolatry and immorality, specifically sexual immorality. Imagine, maybe you don't have to imagine, but imagine that the church that you're involved in or you've been involved in in your life where sexual immorality was practiced and celebrated. I want to throw it out. It happens. So we got to be very careful with this, all of us, that we've got to refuse our integrity. Because how easy is it to sacrifice your integrity that easy? And you only, and I always say, it's you only get one good impression one time and that's it. You destroy your witness. I got a text the other day from someone that's not a Christian. Basically, it was a, I don't know who the pastor is, but the pastor was stealing from someone, not from around here, from Florida or some other, but he wanted me to know that pastors aren't perfect. I've never said I was perfect to this guy. But he always says, you know, pastors, they're just all about money and they always want to steal from the offering plan. Like, I think I'd be working at Pepsi if I did. <laughs> and he sends me this text, but it, so the integrity part of the church, I'm talking about capital C, it just takes a second to break it. So that's why we got to be careful, not only in the church, in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationship with people around us. We only get a witness one time. And when you break that witness, they don't want anything to do with God. Trust me. See, what is idolatry? It's to elevate something to number one above God. I have to get real here. What is more important than God in your life? Who is more important than God in your life? What experience is more important than God in your life? Who do you spend most time with? Where do you spend your most of your time? Where do you spend your treasure? Where do you spend your talents? Where do you spend your money? Look at all those things and ball them up and say, this is the most important thing, and then equate it with God and go, is, is my relationship with God number one? Is he my first love? Or are these things, this person, this encounter, this whatever it is, is more important than God? If you're not honest with yourself, you'll never allow God to conquer this. You'll never get healed of it. Okay, we refuse to cut corners. We need to have Jesus be number one, and his ways are perfect. Right? His ways are perfect. If you don't agree with it, if I don't agree with it, does it make it not right? So if I declare, God, your ways are right, I don't always understand your ways. I might not 100% agree with your ways. It goes against my flesh. Of course it does but your ways are perfect and you'll walk in that in integrity until the moment that you get to be with Jesus. The last, because he talked about sexual immorality, it's refuse to compromise your purity. Not just in sexuality, but in your thought life. You, you know the worst part of, you know where, you know where we're most sinful? Not right here. Right here. Some people don't even, they can't hear a word I'm thinking, right? Some people, they're just, they don't care about that. They just say whatever comes out of their mouth and they're getting trouble. But some of us were like, we're good at this, but we think it. we got to refuse to compromise our purity. And it's the sin of sexual immorality specifically, but I'm just going to say immorality. Look at 2 Peter 2, verses, 2 Peter 2.15. They have wandered off the right road and they followed the, teach, the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor. There is Balaam again. Who loved to earn money by what? Doing wrong. So he loved to be immoral and to profit from it. Jude, verse 11. I had to throw in Jude because I don't think I've ever mentioned it in my Bible uh, times here. Jude, verse 11. Why do you say verse 11? Because it's only one chapter. Jude 11. What sorrow awaits them, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. And like Balaam, they deceive people for money. 
And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. What are these people saying? That there are specific people in the congregations of the church who they're doing great, except they're following the footsteps of specific people who did wrong. They were immoral. And for some of them, they were sexually immoral. You could look at First, First Corinthians about sexual morality. There's entire chapters about it. But Balaam's major sin wasn't committed adultery only. It was that he was showing other people how to do it. And here it is. As we wrap this up, we're a long way away from Pergamum, the city. But we're very, as a culture, we're very close to the culture of Pergamum. For my honest opinion, if I look at Pergamum and the United States of America, I love the United States of America. I love, I love this country. We are blessed. We are. God has blessed this country. But the culture is going the wrong direction. And if we think that it won't affect the church, we're only fooling ourselves. If it can happen in Pergamum, it can happen here. Because those are some great people. They started kind of going, oh, whatever, I'll tolerate it. We speak the truth and love the people around us, but we first, before we judge people, we look at the log in our eye and go, I can't ignore this for any longer. Let's take a moment and pray. For some of us, we may need to go home and just seek the Lord even more. Heavenly Father, help us to take this to heart. It's hard, Lord God, because it is so easy to think that we're way above this. We're, we're too far in with our relationship with God that will never be impacted by this. But the reality is, I think we've all met people who have slipped, who have drifted away from their faith and have committed this heinous sins that we are all can easily become guilty of. Protect us, Lord. Give us a hedge of protection around our heart. Give us a hedge of protection around our minds. And to think, not only to repent of our actions, but to repent of our thinking. To think the way that Jesus thinks is the only way. Your ways are perfect. Mine are not. So your ways are perfect. We will walk in your ways. We will walk in your footstep. We will walk that path all the way to you, God, because that's the path you've carved out for us. Help us to not compromise on any sin. Help us to walk strong. Help us to be victorious. And to those who are victorious, you will offer the, the manna in heaven and you'll offer that brand new name on that stone. We thank you for that hope and that future that you give us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wednesday at 7, men over here, and of course women way over there. In the goods, in the, in the kit, in the, uh, yeah. Uh, next Saturday, right? The clock's back. Next Saturday, fall back. Yeah, fall back, which I like that part. Everybody's really happy that Sunday, usually, because they get an extra hour of sleep. And usually people are like, hey, how you doing? It's the other, it's the spring forward. Everybody's like, 